Well, uh, Ben Bradley was talking to you about lies. And uh, I thought I'd talk about truth. Um, the um, truth is often invisible. And so in here's in the structure of things, it's not always apparent. I think that's part of what he was saying. Now, um, the idea of this event, for instance, is that we who have achieved something at our advanced age uh, can be useful to you uh, by telling you how we did it. But underlying that is an assumption, something inv invisible. And it's the great American assumption of success. So the first thing I want to say here is that we live by our myths, by our invisible assumptions. And I don't mean Achilles and Hector and Paris and Helen. I mean the myths that work in our lives and govern us and come to us as values, as ideals to pursue, as assumptions we don't question. And success is a great American myth. Every time you look at a magazine cover, whatever the field it's, um, it deals with, you'll see someone posing there. And um, that is the success myth operating. And I certainly am pleased and honored to find myself among this brilliant assembly of great athletes and musicians and actors and journalists and distinguished jurists and military men and attorneys and doctors and scientists and scholars and business executives. Um, and I will be the first to extol the, the, the faith and the hard work and the perseverance and the dedication and the discipline uh, and the curiosity of mind and the ability to withstand pain that are the character components of this academy of achievers. But it would not be the whole truth if I didn't say as well that despite our elegance of presentation and our seeming confidence in this festive setting today, um, that we are, if I can project for myself, probably rife with self-doubt. Um, we have wasted a lot of time in our lives. We are often conscience-stricken. We have done idiotic things which we regret, or we have memories of not coming through for someone, or we know that in the wake of our lives, our friends we've neglected and words we didn't quite hear, and ideas we misconstrued, and letters we didn't write, and things we forgot to say. So every life is a welter of imperfection. And for a few of us, I imagine sometimes our success is the only thing we have, and it's a cold consolation. And we've paid a heavy price. And I'd say also, in the case of artists and writers, that to the extent that any one of us struts around feeling successful, uh, he's in bad trouble. So like all myths, uh, this one of people who've made it is only a partial truth. Partial truth means partial lie. It's a construal of reality that's insufficient. And now I have to tell you that I'm saying these unpleasant things because that is my profession to pick at myself and everyone around me and say, we're not there yet. This isn't the truth yet. Success is one of these half-truths, uh, these self-deceptions. Now, another writer said once that his job was to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And that's a pretty good notion for us to keep in mind as long as it doesn't make us self-righteous and holier than thou. And, um, the way to, to get around that 
for us is to be ourselves, to use ourselves for our fictional models of moral insufficiency. So in any event, we writers are a nuisance. And for those of you who dream of being writers and novelists and poets, let me assure you that we are the last thing society wants. So much so that all over the world today, writers are tortured and put in prison and sent into exile because their representations of reality do not suit the governments they live under. And I mean all over the world, in countries of the right or countries of the left, countries whose systems we abhor and countries whose systems we support and send money to. And the reason these writers are in trouble is because writers like politicians know what power there is in language and that reality is amenable to any construction that is placed on it. They know that life is something you compose. Even in this republic, the United States, the inner republic of letters is looked at askance, is shadowed, as it were, and it turns out that the federal agency recently uh, that has come under the directorship, and I might say enlightened at last, directorship of my new academy colleague, Judge Sessions, uh, this uh, agency at one time or another in the past 70 years had under surveillance and kept dossiers on every American novelist and poet you have ever heard of, including Ernest Hemingway, William Faulkner, Theodore Dreiser, Catherine Ann Porter, Richard Wright, Tennessee Williams, Arthur Miller, and Truman Capote. Though, as the man who discovered this for the New York Times, Herbert Mitgame, just published a book on the subject, as he said, not one of these writers was ever convicted of a crime or found to have done anything illegal. So the point is that we are under eternal suspicion. And while I worry about the dangers to constitutional freedom of that kind of bureaucratic behavior, I have to admit also it makes me very proud to be a writer. Um, I can bear anything but indifference. I feel that the writing of fiction is the most important, most all-encompassing of disciplines. I think of fiction as ultimate discourse because it includes all others. It includes all the vocabularies of the special disciplines of the sciences. It includes theological diction and the diction of ordinary life. There's nothing it doesn't accept. It will exclude nothing. It even accepts as data for its mode dreams, illusions, visions, hallucinations. So fiction, in my mind, is something that connects the visible to the invisible and distributes the suffering of one to many so that it can be borne by all. So that's how important I think fiction is. And that means that the writer has the responsibility to bear witness. The writer bears witness. And his final loyalty is to truth, not to institutional truths, not to institutional truths or lies of government or government officials or religions or religious officials, and not even to institutions like the family when they falter and are destructive. So you see, that's the kind of trouble writers get into. And that trouble is the real measure of our success. And. Uh, um, it's a matter of staying alert and seeing what's invisible, seeing the structure that inheres in things. 
For instance, it is possible that the structural truth of the last eight years or so of American history, of American national life, and I assume since most of you are between 16 and 18 years old, that's, that's um, half the time you've been with us. The truth of our history in the last eight years is that we've gone backwards as a nation, that we've torn down a half century of painstakingly legislated advances toward a just and equitable society, that we lost our sense of community and our instinct for fair play, as if America is not a just nation conceived for the good of all, but a confederacy of murderous gluttons. That is not what you'll see on the evening news on television, but it's the truth. And the structural truth of the last 40 years or so of American life, roughly the time since I was in high school, is that we are undergoing a characterological change as a great nation, not only in the numbers of lies that are being told and accepted, but because of the rigid ideological myth that has controlled us, the myth of um, extreme and virulent anti-communism, myth of Cold War thinking that has consumed our wealth, turned our nation into a national military state, and filled our backyards with military junk, and has made us um, vampires of ourselves, sucking ourselves bloodless. That's what I think the truth of the past 40 years of American life is. So you understand I wouldn't say these unpleasant things if I didn't have great respect for you and for your intelligence and for your honest hopes. We were asked to say something appropriate to you all and for this occasion, and I think this is terribly appropriate. I think the subject of lies is terribly appropriate because the other underlying assumption of this occasion is that you all are a good bet to become the outstanding performers of your generation and to pick up your golden plates someday. And I thought it was necessary to tell you the problems you'll find yourself working with, what we are handing to you, as it were, for your plates. The point of a truly enlightened civilization will be reached when people don't have to be exceptional or superior in order to find self-realization, which is, of course, the only success. You remember Plato's idea, his definition of justice. Justice inheres when people can do and live as they are capable and gifted to, when they can do what they can do. And I would say it's the highest, noblest task of a society to see to that, that the good life, the honors and illuminations and peaceable joys and satisfactions of love and health and work are attainable for everyone, whether they have their picture taken from magazine covers or not, or whether they get golden plates or not. Yesterday, a CBS interviewer asked me uh, why I was here, and I had to confess I wasn't quite sure, but now looking at all your faces, I do know why I'm here. And the final truth of the occasion, I realize, is for us to tell you that we're waiting for you. I bet you didn't know that. We're waiting for you. Thank you. Hello, Mr. Dr. Rowe. My name is Kathleen Price. I'm from Denver, Colorado. How are you? And I'm curious to know that in light of your um, evaluation of the last 40 years, what do you see for the future? I mean, do you see us having an opportunity or the capacity to reverse that or to come back or to maybe go back towards an enlightened civilization? 
I think maybe um, in the great sort of tide of national consensus, things are about to change, actually. I change think for the better? For the better, I, yes. Okay. And I, I, I don't make this a matter of Republicans and Democrats, you understand. I don't mean that at all, because, in fact, every administration, Republican or Democrat, since about 1945, has participated in this militarization of the United States and in the kind of thing um, where the culture is made to conform to the values of, of uh, a, a military uh, statehood. I think people are beginning to wake up to that. I think the important thing is for people of many, many different ideas and persuasions to have access to the media, to create their own forums to speak. I participated in Sag Harbor in New York last summer in a citizen initiative to create forums for discussion of these and other matters. I think it's important for people who do not usually get on television to get on television, for the press to report as news what ordinary people do in their assemblies and not just what as governments say and governments, uh, PR people hand out. There are thousands of things we can do and it's not even a political matter, it's a spiritual matter. Holding that atom bomb and being cocky about it is a monstrous theological impiety. It has nothing to do with politics. It's like Faust. Faust, the man who went too far, the man who decided to make a deal with the devil for the illumination it could give him. That's what that's the underlying sort of mythic structure of what we have been doing in this country in the past 40 years. And I think it's just a matter of everyone questioning and being skeptical, remembering the lies that we've been told, some of which Ben Bradley has discussed, and just taking our responsibilities as citizens in the most serious way possible. Thank, Thank you. you.